I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon, episode 56, coming to you live here this week. Zach Follador here steering this ship, as always, with co-host Steve Helwick. Steve, how are things going down in Houston, man? Things are going pretty well. Every time we record means it's one week closer to college football season, and I think exactly one month from now, 31 days are when the first when the week zero kicks off on August 28th. So couldn't be looking forward to just any college football games right now. And that's, that's how I'm feeling. Yeah, I hear you. And there's actually, um, there's, there's a, a couple of good games that first weekend. I know Nebraska and Illinois playing. Uh, I know we got uh, Hawaii playing UCLA, a couple interesting games there. Um, it's been an interesting week in, in the college sports landscape, Stephen, and you being down in Houston, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts and, and kind of hear from, from your perspective there on the ground, what the feeling is like in Texas right now with this news of Texas and Oklahoma potentially moving to the SEC. Well, it sounds like that the general excitement among Texas and Oklahoma fans are is excitement to be part of a new conference, one that's going to generate more money and even more exposure for their brands. But personally speaking, I don't like the ripple effect that this is going to cause in college football. and. Yeah. Even I'm looking at Oklahoma specifically from a competitive standpoint, too. Uh, The college football playoff is proposing expansion to 12 teams in a few years. And if that that can be finalized as early as September, I'm hearing. And if that goes in, the top four conference champions get first round buys. Oklahoma would be in that pretty much every single year. The top four conference champions are almost always Clemson, the SEC champ, which is usually Bama, the Big Ten champ, which is usually Ohio State, and Oklahoma, which is almost always a Big 12 champion. So mm-hmm. th- they would have that automatic bid almost every single year. So when you're getting a bigger TV deal with the SEC, you're also sacrificing the success you've had on the football field because now you have to share a conference with Alabama. And then yeah. every, one, every couple of years, you see a good LSU, Georgia, or Florida run or Texas A&M is even breaking into that mold and recently. So it's going to be a very difficult conference to win. And I also wonder if this move is going to impact any changes in the playoff format, because this was not a wide known thing, Oklahoma and Texas. I know they first proposed it, I think in December or January, but it was not wide known among committee members, I believe, when these expanded playoffs were proposed. So I wonder the impact it's going to have there. Then I'm going to wonder what's going to happen to the Big 12. My recommendation is the Big 12 needs to add AAC schools. The AAC is an interesting conference because I think it's a mix of very competitive universities that take athletics seriously. You have your UCFs, your Memphises, your Cincinnati's, and your Houston's. But obviously the conference top to bottom is not as strong as other conferences top to bottom the big 12 or the Pac 12. So I think that adding the top AAC teams in there, which get about as equal amount of television viewers uh, as the current big 12 teams, excluding Texas and Oklahoma as researched by UCF's SB nation blog, UCF Banneret. So I think that could be an interesting conference. That's really good in football and basketball. When you add programs like Cincinnati, Memphis, Houston, which just in a final four UCF, I just named four teams that have all been in a New Year's Six Bowl since 2015. So there's going to be a lot of good teams that they could add to the conference. And geography is really getting thrown out the window. The money's so big now that geography yeah. doesn't matter in conference realignment. So as I was saying earlier, the Texas and Oklahoma move, I'm not a fan of it, but it's 
it's going to help those universities generate more money and it's going to have a ripple effect in what conferences do in college football. And I think that the Big 12 will be the direct hit and then the AAC, the Mountain West, maybe yeah. even the Pac-12 will all be secondary effects. And then we might even see tertiary effects in the MAC or some other conferences. Yeah, the, the, the ripple effects to me are, are what scare me a little bit. You know, you mentioned how it might affect some of the smaller group of five conferences. I'm worried, like I'm thinking, you know, a couple years down the line here, if, if the Big Ten or the ACC or even the Pac-12 try to follow this SEC model and expand to, if they get to the point where they're all 16 teams, I, I'm, I'm worried, like, are they, they going to expand their conference schedules? Is it going to be 16 teams? You're playing 11 conference games. You know, what's going to happen to non-conference? I mean, you've got schools in the MAC and, and the Mountain West and Conference USA and the Sun Belt that depend on those non-conference guarantee games in September. Maybe I'm thinking too far ahead. Maybe I'm overreacting. But I just it, it feels like the sport is going to continue to consolidate. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. I guess we'll have to wait and see, though. You know, we'll have to see how this all plays out. I completely agree there. I, I like the current structure with 130 teams, I like the bowl system. I like everything that college football is about. And it just seems like the, the money is taking over right now yeah. instead the passion for the sport. Now, I'm not qualified to talk about this because I don't know a lick about soccer, but I know they had that Super League thing over there. Yeah. And I know soccer fans were saying that money was taking over the the pride and the enjoyment of the sport and fans were able to get that contracted. And I'm kind of hoping we see a similar revolution in college football where the sport takes itself back in the yeah. in the form that we've all known and loved for the past 100 years. I'm with you there, man. I'm with you there. So it'll certainly be really interesting to see how this plays out. But anyway, uh, let's get into some Mac stuff here, Steve. Um, we, real quickly, we wanted to acknowledge. So this week, um, you know, it's as, as the season gets closer and closer, we're about a month away now. A bunch of the preseason award watch lists have come out this week. We covered a couple of them last week, the Davey O'Brien Award and, uh, you know, the, the Doak Walker Award. We, have, uh, we had a bunch more that came out this week. There were five that have been released thus far. Um, we're not going to cover them all. We just wanted to acknowledge them here quickly. Uh, but we had three Mac players named to the Jim Thorpe Award watch list for defensive backs. Uh, James Patterson of Buffalo was named to the uh, the Butkus Award watch list for linebackers. We had four O linemen named to the Outland watch list uh, for you know best offensive lineman, obviously. Uh, and then four defensive players on the Nagurski watch list for the best defensive player in college football. And then six Mac punters, six Mac punters made the Ray Guy Award watch list for uh, the, the best punter in America. Steve, all things considered, you know, you look at this week and having a couple of lists here with multiple Mac players on it. And even last week as well, we had, uh, you know, we had six running backs on the, on the, uh, the Doak Walker award watch list. The Mac is, is very well represented on these, these watch lists this year, which is something you love to see the conference get recognition like this. Yes. And I think it, there is a COVID impact due to this list because the Mac has about as much experience as any conference in college football now. Basically, if you weren't an NFL draft prospect for the 2020 season, you return to college. So we are seeing a lot of MAC teams that are fortified with a lot of returning talent and some of the guys running it back from last year. I mean, you're seeing guys like seventh-year senior Bryce Harris manning the center position for Toledo. And Ball State has, I think, five starting super seniors on the defense, which yeah. have been with the program since at least 2016. So granting a year, extra year of eligibility, is allow these guys to help build their playing abilities and help build more recognition throughout the years after having several years of experience and success under their belt. So they're being recognized for it this preseason. And that's, that's going to help them just being on those watch lists, help the nation get your eyes on you going into later in the year when these all American awards and all conferences are handed out at the end of the season. So it's a good thing to see. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, Bryce Harris and you look at that offensive lineman uh, award watch list for, you know, the Outland trophy. And, you know, I talked, I, I said last week that I felt like this year running back might be the most talented position in the Mac. I don't think offensive line is too far behind it though. A lot of it has to do with experience. A lot of these guys on this list here, you look at Curtis Blackwell, Mike Caliendo from Western Michigan, Bryce Harris from Toledo. These are guys that have been around their programs for a long time. I think we're going to see some really, really good 
offensive line play here uh, in, in the Mac this year. So, um, like I said, we're not going to go through all of these in detail. Now, Steve, I know you're going to have an article coming out later this week uh, on Hustle Belt when, uh, or I, I shouldn't say later this week, you'll have an article coming out uh, kind of recapping all of the awards watch lists here. So everyone, please uh, follow Steve on Twitter. Uh, follow, you know, follow us on Hustle Belt. That article will be posted here uh, once all these awards lists are, are done coming out and you'll be able to get a full breakdown of everything there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's move in though, Steve. Let's let's dive right into our, our season previews here this week. So last week covered Northern Illinois and Bowling Green. This week, looking at Eastern Michigan from the Western Division and Akron from the East. Um, I figured let's, let's start with Eastern Michigan here tonight, Steve. This is a team... Uh, this is a program that I, I don't think a lot of people around the country really appreciate the job that Chris Creighton has done at Eastern Michigan here for the last six years. You know, they've gone to three bowl games the last five years. Um, I, I saw a really interesting stat as I was researching Eastern Michigan earlier today of their last 48 games, 42 of them, they have either won or lost by one score. So this is a team that has really, really grown. I mean, this is a program that was in a bad, bad place seven, eight, nine years ago. Chris Creighton has really come in, and, and this, this team he has this year might be the most talented group he's had yet in his time in Ypsilanti. Uh, definitely the most talented offensively. We'll get to the defense in a minute, but just talking about Chris Creighton, he inherited a program that was going 1-11 and 2-10 and and pretty much every single season with the occasional winless season thrown in there. They hadn't been to a bowl game since 1987 when he took over. Still searching for that first bowl win since 1987, but they've had a couple close calls in the Bahamas Bowl against Old Dominion in 2016. They played in the Camellia Bowl in 2018. Uh, that was against Georgia Southern, and they lost that one on a game-winning field goal by Tyler Bass, who is now the Buffalo Bills kicker. And they had that quick lane bowl against Pitt where they lost on a long touchdown pass at the very end. Very yeah. fun memorable uh game in 2019 so that's one that's one thing that chris creighton's looking to add to his resume and another is a mac championship game appearance now eastern michigan is a far much further along from where it was a few years ago under ron english when they were going two and ten every single year but the program has yet to break eight wins under creighton's tenure so that needs to be something Eastern Michigan's going to do. And no, I don't think Creighton should be on the hot seat at all just for what he's done to this program alone and what he's already accomplished in Eastern Michigan. Last year's team is, was just like, I'd say, the past four iterations of Eastern Michigan, where they're a coin flip. They feel yeah. like they can beat any team in the MAC on any given day, and they can also lose to any team and Usually, you mentioned the one-possession games earlier. When Eastern Michigan loses, they almost always lose in heartbreaking fashion. Yeah. They're 0-7 in overtime games in Chris Creighton's tenure. 0-7. Wow. So many games left on the table. They've lost so many games just by one score at the very end. We always have the meme of uh, the DK Metcalf uh, running after Buda Baker last year. It's like, <laughs> yeah. like Eastern Michigan's Buda Baker one-possession game. Uh, <laughs> yes. Metcalf. We post, we, we post that from the Hustle Belt account every single time that Eastern Michigan gets in a one-possession game because it happens so often. And the, the team is so good, and they're so much better than they used to. But just heartbreakers. Like last year against Central Michigan, they led, what was it, 23-2. to. I think they were, they were up 23-17, I believe, in that game. going into the I think they were quarter. up 20-6 or something going okay, into the okay. fourth quarter. And they lost the fourth quarter 25-3. to three. Mm -hmm. And they gave up 17 points in the final five minutes and yeah. had a hole and interception in their own territory. Just avoidable mistakes like that could really help Eastern Michigan propel to the next level. And that's yeah. what you need to get out of them this year. They have a lot of returning guys on offense. As you mentioned, this might be the most talented offense that Chris Creighton group has had. Preston Hutchinson, 
is a pretty solid aerial quarterback, and he has a good ground game to offer, too, with eight rushing touchdowns last season and 12 passing touchdowns. Hutchinson was ranked the 50th best quarterback in college football by Pro Football Focus. So there are national eyes on him and expectations of what he could do. And it was clear when he made his first start against Western Michigan in 2019 that he has a heck of an arm, and Eastern Michigan could really benefit off that. Uh, they have a wide receiver that I think could be bound for a first or second team all-max selection this year. That's Hassan Baydoun. Baydoun had his breakout game against Pitt in that quick lane bowl we mentioned earlier. He had nine receptions, 113 yards in that game. In each of his last six games, he's had at least seven receptions, and he has had 100 yards in four of his last six games. So mm -hmm. Baydoun's going to be a huge focal point of the offense this year. They lost Keon Williams, who transferred intra-conference to Buffalo. But other than that, I really like their receiving core with Dylan Drummond and Tanner Canoe returning. And I think that Eastern Michigan has a lot of the weapons they have on uh, in the passing game and in the rushing game. Darius Boone Jr., he's still technically a freshman after having a redshirt season in 2019 where he only played two games. And last year in the pandemic season where he was the starting running back, played pretty well, averaging six yards a carry. And now he's back as a freshman with two years of experience under his belt. So I think Eastern Michigan's in very good position offensively. I think they have a lot of the weapons. They just have to yield fewer sacks. I know that they allowed three per game last year. Cut down on that. The offensive line is going to be more experienced this year. Same group returning. Improve that offensive line. And Eastern Michigan really has the talent to uh, assert themselves on offense. I mean, they averaged 33 points a game last year. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't disagree with anything you're saying, Steve. I think when I look at this team offensively, um, there's, there's really – at least at the skill positions, there's, there's no question marks for me. You know, I think when it comes to quarterback play in the Mac, I think Preston Hutchinson might be the most underappreciated of the Mac quarterbacks. You know, um, you know, you've even, you've heard Caleb Ellaby from Western Michigan, get more, uh, get more talk this preseason along with, you know, the Drew Plitz, the Dustin Crumbs, the Kyle Van Treese's. but I think Preston Hutchinson um, really showed me something last year. I mean, 64% completion percentage, 12 touchdowns, six interceptions. You also mentioned he led them with eight rushing touchdowns as well. I really like his toughness under center. You have him coming back his second year as a starter. Now he's still only a junior. I think for me, Steve, you, you mentioned the, the O-line. I think the O-line for me is the only question mark on offense for this team. This is a team, I mean, they, they return all six guys who started last year. Um, they have second team right guard, uh, second team all-Mac right guard, uh, City So, and then honorable mention center Mike Van Horn are all back. They have 92 career starts returning. Uh, on their offensive line this year, but they need to get better in the running game. You know, last year, Preston Hutchinson was great through the air, but they only averaged three yards per carry last year, 124 rush yards per game. Those were both last in the Mac. And that's with having two running backs that I really like. You mentioned Darius Boone, um, you know, had five, six yards of carry basically last year. I also like Samson Evans, their backup running back, who, you know, also averaged five yards of carry last year on 41 carries. So, the offensive line, I think, needs to get much better in pass protection. Uh, they need to be able to, 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 you know, block for Darius Boone and Samson Evans. I think if the O-line can, can shore up a little bit this year, this is going to be a really, really dangerous offense. I mean, they scored 33 points a game last year, as you mentioned, despite being last in the conference in rushing. Um, I, I really, if, if the offensive line can put that, Put it together this year. I really, really like what this offense has to offer. I also, I, I, I agree with you on the wide receivers. I love Hassan Beydoun. I love what Tanner Canoe showed me last year. I also really liked uh, tight end Thomas Odekoya. He's a, he's not as he's not as um, prominent in the passing game, but great run blocker, very physical tight end. I, I like him as well. So a lot of pieces on offense for the Eagles coming back that I really, really like this year. This is going to be a high powered unit, I think, and I could expect them. You know, I expect to see some high scoring games. Uh, from the Eagles this year because of that. Now, as, as, as great as we feel about the offense, let's talk about the other side of the ball here, Steve. I mean, the, the defense last year, to put it lightly for Eastern Michigan, it was a struggle. I mean, last in the MAC in, in yards per game, ninth in rush defense, ninth in pass defense, eighth in points per game. I, I think especially through the air, this team you know, struggled on defense last year. They were hurt, hampered by some injuries in the secondary. But nonetheless, I think 
this is a, a defense that has a lot of experience back, but they, we still need to see some improvement from this group this year if Eastern Michigan wants to have the type of season that they think they can have. I really wasn't shocked about the struggles that the passing defense faced. That's what's going to happen when you have Kevin McGill, Brody, Brody Hoying, and Vince Calhoun, three star secondary players from that 2019 season, all leave in one offseason. So there was a lot of replacement, a lot of growing pains that Eastern Michigan had to go through in its past defense last year. And it was not really a surprise that they struggled in a lot of areas. And I think in total offense, they allowed the fifth most yards last year in the country and wow. with 494 per game. So Eastern Michigan really needs to improve that unit. And they did have a couple All-Mac defenders last year, like Terry Myrick was one. Uh, they had first-team All-Mac. Uh, I think they had one for, yeah, Noski LaFleur. Noski LaFleur, I think. He was pretty good last year with just, uh, I know he had two interceptions and was their best player in the secondary last year from the safety spot. So I'm expecting another big season from him. And it was necessary to have somebody step up after all those secondary guys left. But I really need to, I really need to focus on this defensive line. Outside of Turan Rush, they really struggled generating any sort of pass rush last year. And uh, first level of unit to stop running games last year. So I think that Eastern Michigan really needs to shore up that unit. And I don't know how I feel about the, I, I, as much as I like this offense, this defense really needs to show me something before I can pick Eastern Michigan to even finish above 500, just because they had a lot of struggles last year. And penalties was one of the biggest issues with this team. Fourth in the country in penalties last year. That's 75 yards per game that they were wow. giving to a, opponents basically but the one thing that the defense did do well was they forced turnovers and they were pretty opportune turnovers and they stayed in a lot of games because of that against Ball State and against Kent State when they faced those tough opponents early on in the season and it helped them win that Western Michigan shootout late in the season when they got their first win in that upset late. Yeah I, I agree with you Steve I think I, I'm with you in the sense, I, I think the, the biggest concern for me with Eastern Michigan this year, not just on their defense, but I think probably their entire team is that defensive line. The, the defensive line was not good last year. I mean, this is a team in, they played six games last year and only had nine sacks on defense. Four and a half of those sacks came from uh, Turan Rush, who, who, who you mentioned uh, at, at defensive line, first team all Mac last year. Um, he's, he's, really your only, you know, kind of um, sure thing on that defensive line there. You had some other young guys that played a little bit last year and you saw some flashes, you know, Jose Ramirez and Alex Merritt, they both had their, they both had flashes, but I mean, still giving up 240 rush yards per game, 5.2 yards per carry. You're not going to have a lot of success on defense with, with those type of numbers. So I think the defensive line, the one thing that I'm encouraged about this year for the Eagles is that they return their entire two deep on, on the defensive line there. Every, all the top 10 guys they had last year are all back. So there's a lot, there's a measure of experience this year uh, that they didn't have perhaps last year. I do love the linebacking, uh, the linebacking group there, Terry Meyer, you mentioned second team, all Mac, he was fourth in the conference with uh, in, in tackles last year with 67. I also really like Tariq Spates on the other side. He started five games last year and had 52 tackles. And then you mentioned Noski LaFleur. He kind of serves that kind of rover role, kind of, I don't know, some people would consider him a linebacker. Some people would consider him a defensive back. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, two interceptions, second team All-Mac last year. I think there's a lot of individual talent on this defense. They just haven't been able to put it all together. And I think a lot, some of the injuries last year in the secondary certainly um, did not help that, you know, Blake Bogan was only only played two games last year in 2019. You go back to his last full season. He started 11 games, had 62 tackles. They also another thing I'm curious about on the back end here for Eastern Michigan. They bring in Rutgers transfer Jarrett Paul uh, at safety, who uh, started uh 12, I'm sorry, 10 games for Rutgers two years ago in 2019 and had 43 tackles. So I don't know. We'll have to see. I, I think the secondary is, is the biggest kind of uh, concern for me. The secondary, I guess, no, not the concern there. I, I'm optimistic about the secondary. The D line, I meant to say, is, is my biggest concern there. 
I, I'm curious to see uh, how this defense is able to bounce back. 11 returning starters, like I said, pretty much everyone's back, especially you look at the D-line. The entire two-deep is back there. But I'm with you, Steve. I'm, I'm, I, w- I look at this offense, and I would love to pick Eastern Michigan to win eight or nine games this year. But when I look at the defensive side of the ball, I got to see some growth there before I can confidently pick Eastern Michigan in some of these coin flip games in the MAC. Yeah, I mean, they beat Western Michigan 52 to 43 by basically their offense and forcing three turnovers. Their defense needs to force turnovers to succeed is what it's been in the past. And that's not always sustainable is the forcing turnovers. We've seen teams in the country have to rely on that recently. I'm thinking about a team like UCF last year that finished eighth in turnovers, but their defense, their defense wasn't always recording stops they were just getting a lot of turnovers and when those turnovers stopped like in their bowl game against BYU that's when the defense started getting exposed so I think that Eastern Michigan is kind of built in a similar manner where turnovers is really their way to defensive stops but the sign of a good defense is you have to be a unit that's like Northwestern that just continually gets stops forces punts and that's a more sustainable way to build a defense. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. Yeah. If you're relying on turnovers to get stops, uh, you're, you're not going to have, you're going to have a lot of uneven performances on that side of the ball. Let's uh, let's, let's look at the schedule here quickly, Steve, because um, you know, I think if you look at it, compare Eastern Michigan's non-conference schedule to some of the other non-conference schedules we see in the Mac this year, they, they do have a little bit of a more favorable non-conference schedule. And I think one of the advantages that they might have this year as they, in their quest to return to bowl eligibility is that I could realistically see them going three and one in the non-conference. You open up on September 3rd, Friday night and week one against St. Francis, Pennsylvania week two, you go to Wisconsin. I think we can chalk that one up as a loss, but then you round yep. out the non-conference with games at UMass who we know is almost on Bowling Green's level in terms of ineptitude. And then Texas State, I will admit, I, I haven't done the research on Texas State. I know they had a, a decent year last year. Jake Spavadol is still their head coach, if I'm not yes, mistaken. Yes, they were a very good 2-10 team. Yeah, yeah. State lost a lot of games in close fashion. They even played SMU pretty close last year. Yeah. And I remember they had a really, really good game. I highly recommend YouTube highlight watch uh, it back. I haven't seen it back since then but I just remember how enjoyable that UTSA Texas state game on week one was. Mm. So the, the Bobcats, they, they also have a lot of returning talent that they're, they're going to be a solid team this year, much improved of their 2020 iteration. So I think that game could be more of a toss up, but Eastern Michigan gets to play that at the factory. And I think that should help play into the favor of the Eagles in this one, but I do realistically see three and one. I don't think there's a chance that they take down Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin, even the good Mac teams, usually they just let their running back get 200 yards like Jonathan Taylor did the past few years, like he did against Kent State. Then he gets to ride the bench in the second half and Wisconsin leaves with like a, I don't know. They did did something similar to Central Michigan a couple years ago too. Wisconsin leaves with like a 55 to three victory. So, yeah. Wisconsin's going to be a loss, but they're going to beat that FCS team in UMass. And it comes down to Texas State's going to be a big game for this season. That's going to be their first real test to see what Eastern Michigan really is this this year. And then they get Northern Illinois the next week. So even a four and one start is possible for this Eastern Michigan team. And later in the year, you get Bowling Green, which is a winnable game. And Every other MAC game, as I said earlier, every game seems winnable for Eastern Michigan, but also it does seem like every game is losable. They're the ultimate wild card when it comes to predicting MAC games. Yes, com- completely agree. I think you know if if they can get through the non-conference schedule at three and one and go into that Northern Illinois game with with some momentum and some confidence. I could see them knocking off the Huskies and coming home. Their next two games after that, if you can get the four and one, you have Miami at home and Ball State at home. You know, if you if you beat Northern Illinois, you're sitting at four and one with a lot of confidence. And then you play Miami at home, you win that game. You're go, you're five and one going into that Ball State game. I'm not saying I think that that's likely to happen. I think. I think a likely scenario, given their tendencies to play close games and always be in these coin flip games, I think it's more likely they probably go one and one in the Northern Illinois and Miami game and probably 
you know, probably said we're probably looking at four and two going into the Ball State game. Uh, Ball State will obviously be a tough matchup, even though it, it is at the factory. Bowling Green, Toledo, Ohio, and then Western and Central Michigan, the two rivalry games to close the year. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you, Steve. This Western Michigan, more than almost any other team in the MAC, I think, you know, those last four games of the year, throw in Miami in there, you know, you got five games there that are, I would look at as coin flips. You know what I mean? So if they can mm-hmm. go three and if they can go three and two in those games and five and one every, or I'm sorry, three and two in those games and five and two everywhere else, you're looking at an eight and four season. I don't know how likely that is. I think for them to go three and two in those games, we'd have to see some development from the defense, but this, this feels to me like another, you know, six and six, seven and five season for the Eagles. Yeah. And when has the Mac ever been predictable? I mean, our last three champions, 2018, Northern Illinois, 2019, Miami and 2020 ball state. I don't think many people saw any of those three coming. Doesn't ever feel like the favorite wins. It always feels like a team that's kind of, you might predict to go like six and six or seven and five to start the season has been what the champions been recently. So you never know if that run's going to be in Eastern Michigan, especially with how much parity the Mac seems to have these days. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think Eastern Michigan is the one team that I could see like surprising people. If they get some breaks this year, I could see them getting to eight and four or something if everything goes their way. So certainly an interesting team to watch for me this year. I'm really looking forward to seeing what, uh, what the Eagles are able to put out on the field this year. Always love and love watching games on the gray turf up there in, uh, in Ypsilanti. So um, that's that that'll wrap it up for Eastern Michigan this year. Uh, again, they open up their season September 3rd at home against St. Francis, Pennsylvania. First ever meeting between the Eagles and the Red Flash. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's move over to, uh, to the East Division now, Steve. Take a look at Akron. This is a team, I think... If, if you look at the teams at the bottom of the conference last year, we had Bowling Green, Northern Illinois, and Akron. I think Akron, to me, felt much closer to, to Northern Illinois than they did to Bowling Green. I'm not saying that Akron was a great team last year. I mean, one in five, you know, they were, they were last in the conference or close to last in the conference in a lot of team categories. But more so than Bowling Green it seems like there were some, some signs for hope last year, some silver linings that Zips fans could hang on to as, as they move forward into Tom Arth's third year now. Yes, there was no getting worse from that 2019 team. That yeah. team, they did, they did lose a game to UMass. They finished 0-12, and they went 1-11 against the spread. So they were getting mm. blown every single week except for a surprise game late in the season against Miami. And that Akron team definitely improved last year. And we could see that early on against Ohio when they only lost at Peden Stadium by two touchdowns. And then they came out and they took care of business against Bowling Green, defeating them handily 31 to three, creating that separation in the cellar of the Mac. So Tom Arth finally got his first win after snapping Akron's 21 game losing streak, which is the longest I don't have it in front of me, but I know it's the longest in college football in quite some time was 21 games. So Akron's feels good to be off the schneid and only on a one game losing streak headed into 2021, but still when you're losing, when you have losses by 45 points last year, 34 points, 31 and 49, you're still not quite there even after that win against Bowling Green. So Akron has a lot of work to do. They managed to pick their offense up a little bit. They only averaged about 10 points in 2019 and got that up to 17 last year. But the defense kind of suffered, and the defense wasn't as good as it was in 2019, as shocking as it is at hears. But there were a lot of good MAC offenses last year, a lot of good running backs that gave Akron uh, difficult problems. So if you're looking at the stats, you're like, oh, Akron had a really good passing defense. But that's not really the case because they did – they did allow a very high completion percentage and a high yards per pass. Teams just weren't passing on them because they were having so much success with the run. Akron gave up the eighth most rushing yards per game last season. 
and they gave up the sixth most rushing touchdowns per game. So Akron really needs to improve that run defense. I think there's one really good piece to build around on this defense, and that's Bubba Arslanian, who ranked 10th in total tackles in the FBS two seasons ago. And Akron always seems to have a good linebacker with them. I mean, they even when they were bad and they had Ulysses Gilbert yes. manning that core, Akron always is equipped with a really good defender in their unit. So I think that Arslanian can help build this defense this year. You also have A.J. Watts, who was an all-MAC defensive back last season. So Akron does have a couple pieces to build around defensively. Offensively, you're not going to win games averaging 17 points a game. Uh, I know they looked good against Bowling Green's horrendous defense, but there's one piece on offense I really like, and that's Keon Dollard, who had a really breakout season when he had over 200 yards against Kent State's defense, and he finished with 666 yards on six yards a carry and six touchdowns. So I think Dollard is going to be a great – I think he came from the junior college or community college. Yeah, he came from a JC, yeah. I think he's going to be a great piece to help this offense going forward. And now Akron just needs to establish a passing game in order and an offensive line to go along with Dollard. Just as we talked about the struggles of Eastern Michigan's offensive line, Akron's offensive line allowed more than four sacks per game last year. Only UNLV and Kansas were worse. So Akron has a couple bright spots here and there, but still most of the team really needs to improve in order to get out of the cellar that they've been in since 2018. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I, I'm with you there. And I think the common theme among these teams that are really struggling right now in the Mac seems to be the inexperience and the ineffectiveness of the offensive line. I think if the offensive line for, uh, for Akron this year can take a step forward, we're going to see a much better performance from the offense. They had four freshman starters last year. Um, you mentioned their struggles. I mean, 26 sacks they gave up in six games. They do have all five starters back this year. You know, the four the four freshman starters from last year, and then they have senior center uh, Bryce Peterson back as well. He has 30 career starts. You know, the the rushing the rushing game for Akron last year might not seem like like much of a bright spot. You only averaged 141 yards per game, but uh, it it is much better when you consider that in 2019. They average, this is insane to me, Steve. In 2019, as a team, they averaged 48 rushing yards a game and, and 1.7 yards per carry. That is like historically bad, how bad that is. So they did take some steps forward last year. You mentioned Tion Dollard had a breakout year coming from the junior college ranks, six yards a carry, six touchdowns. He did have some legal issues this offseason, so he was suspended for a while. It appears he's back with the team, though. He missed spring practice. Um, you know, I was I was reading some articles uh, as I was researching for this pod earlier today, and it, uh, I saw some quotes from Coach Tom Arth regarding spring practice where uh, freshman running back John Zell Norrells uh, really turned some heads in spring practice in Tion Dollard's absence. So a couple of good running backs there. Um, I, I do have some concerns at the wide receiver position. Uh, leading receiver last year, Nate Stort, is gone. They have George Qualls and Tony Grimes, junior back. They were number two and three last year. But still, this is a unit, uh, you know, offensively and, you know, passing the ball. I mean, only 139 passing yards per game, last in the MAC, near the bottom of the, uh, of the FBS as well. I I'll be curious. One thing I'll be curious to see on offense is going to be that Cato Nelson is back from his injury last year. He had shoulder surgery right before the season and had to sit out. This is a guy, you know, for everything we've just said about Akron, how poor they've been for the last three years. People tend to forget that back in 2017, this is a team that was in the MAC championship game. They didn't win that game, but they made it to Ford Field. And when they were in that game that day at Ford Field, Cato Nelson was under center. He was their starting quarterback as a true freshman. He's been a little bit inconsistent throughout his career, but, um, you know, 1,800 yards passing, 11 touchdowns in 10 games that he started in 2019. Zach Gibson, the freshman, started in his place last year. He wasn't bad, you know, 57% completion percentage, you know, four touchdowns, five interceptions. Obviously, you'd like to see that ratio be a little bit better. But I'm, I'm very curious to see how the quarterback competition unfolds. I'm assuming Cato Nelson is going to be the starter. I wonder if his veteran presence under center will help this offense. 
Yes. I, I was thinking Gibson might be it because they turned to Gibson at the end of the 2019 season and then they mm. rode with him last year. So sure. I think Gibson year might give him the experience. But Cato Nelson is really talented when he's playing well. And I still remember that four touchdown game he had against Ohio. Yeah. That basically was a tiebreaker to have them win the Mac East in 2017. And I've been looking for that performance out of Cato Nelson since because I know he has that potential. I don't know if it's just that the right guys aren't around him right now or if the coaching's different from the Bowden era. But I know Cato Nelson does have that potential and he can be an electrifying quarterback for this offense. And I think he he provides a lot of potential, whether he, he seems like a high risk, high reward quarterback for yes. Akron. And I would I, I want to see him play again. It's exciting because 2021 is four years after 2017 when he had that great season of just eight touchdowns, two interceptions, led them to the MAC title game. He needs to fix his completion percentage a little. But when Nelson's on, he he's shown that he can do some good things in the past season. So I would like to see Nelson back in the quarterback position for the Zips because I think that he can provide them something special as he endures probably his last year of college football. Yeah, it and and that's that to me is going to be the position battle that I'm really going to be watching uh, as as we get closer to the season. Because you're right, for a for a, a freshman last year, Zach Gibson did not play badly at all. And as you mentioned, they also turned to him at the end of the 2019 season um, after Cato Nelson got hurt. So uh, we'll we'll see how that unfolds as as fall camp opens here in the next few weeks and as we move towards week one. On defense, though, um, you know you mentioned Bubba Arslanian, obviously. He's been a, a leader on this defense for a long time. Like you said, 10th in the country in tackles in, in 2019 with 125. Um, I, like, I like this linebacker unit they have. They have him. They have uh, Brandon Bischoff, who also had 27 tackles last year. They also add Michigan State chance for uh, Jeslin Boateng. So they have three solid linebackers there in the middle. The defensive line, I think, needs to get a little bit better. I mean, this is a team that only had nine sacks last year in six games, gave up over six yards per carry. So um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I think this defense is uh, going to be there, – there's some question marks here. They have some, uh, some holes to fill. They do return five of their top six um, on the back end. So um, I don't know. We'll see what happens with the defense. I think there, there are some pieces to like here. A.J. Watts at cornerback was second team All-Mac last year. They also have former Michigan transfer Jalen Kelly Powell uh, at safety. He started five games uh, at safety last year for the Zips. I don't know. I, this defense, I think there's, there's still a lot of young pieces here. But if they want to have any type of success this year or have uh, you know, a higher level of competition, you can't be giving up six yards per carry. You can't go through the entire season. You can't go you know, nine sacks in six games, give up 41 points a game. You're not going to win many games going that way. So I think this defense, we need to see collectively a little bit more from them this year uh, to see if we can you know, get some stops here and there to help out the offense, who isn't the highest powered offense in the conference. Yes, this isn't going to be built in a night or a season. And Akron's really building from ground zero because we mentioned earlier that 2019 team was historically bad on offense. And they, they just couldn't cover the spread in any of their games, just getting blown out every single week. So Tom Arth really has a project on his hands. And it's going to start rough again this year with Auburn first up on the schedule. And it's never easy starting against an SEC team that's had some good success. So that will be Brian Harson's Auburn opener. So there's going to be a lot of hype on the planes for that game. But I think the next two games, next game, I won't say that Akron should be favored or close to favored by any means against Temple. But Temple was pretty bad last year. And the yeah. Owls in a hard hit under former NIU head coach Rod Carey. And Temple's now... I think they were picked to finish last in the AAC this season and the Owls really struggled last year. And I think Akron could maybe surprise in that game if Tion Dollar's on his game and if the defense can force some turnovers. I mean, even one of those seasons that Akron was pretty bad when they finished three and nine in 2018, they took down Big Ten East champion Northwestern, who finished ranked at the end of the season just yeah. because they were able to produce three defensive touchdowns in a 12-minute span. Yeah. <laughs> Those when Akron, has, if they're capable of a performance like that. I don't think we talk about that upset enough. 
because I think that's one of the biggest upsets of the last decade was you have a Northwestern team in the Big Ten title game who's winning the Holiday Bowl over Utah, and they couldn't beat Akron because Alvin Davis and that Akron defense went off in the third quarter of that game. So who knows if the turnovers, if Akron can get those up, if that can play in a factor in a game against Temple. And there are other non-conference games. Anytime I see an FCS opponent on the schedule, I expect a win. They have Bryant on September 18th. So I, I believe they can beat Bryant. And <laughs> then they finish out with Ohio State, which you can chalk that one up as an automatic loss. Is I don't know what Ohio State's all-time record against MAC teams is, but I think it's like one loss maybe and 30, 40 something wins. It's yeah, it's it's something absurd. I can I I don't have Ohio State's record versus Mac teams in front of me. I can tell you that um Akron is two and thirty all time versus Big Ten teams, however, with one of those wins it being that Western. What's that? Ohio State has lost uh this was in 2019. They said that Ohio State has a 34 and one record against the Mac. I, I don't know if this was before or after that Miami Ohio game that year that they won like 76 to five. Yeah. Th- th- this article I see says that they have a 34 and one record against the Mac, and that only loss came back in 1894 against Ohio State Fairgrounds, which is now known as Akron. I remember wow. tweeting about that. There, I know their head coach was John Heisman at the time because I remember when they beat Northwestern, that was Akron's first win over a Big Ten team since 1894 when they had John Heisman and they beat Ohio. Now that is a stat. That is a stat right there. That's pretty cool. Um, Yeah, I I, I can't disagree with anything that you said there, Steve. I mean, Auburn and Ohio State, I think we can chalk those up as losses. You're right, though. I agree on the Temple game as as somebody that, you know, here in here in Pennsylvania, you know, and you know, they're, you know, they're on the other side of the state for me, obviously, but still watching that program from afar, it, it's, it's crazy to me, the high that they were on those last couple of years with Matt rule before he left for Baylor, they hire Rod Carey. And it seems like it's just been a, a downward trajectory pretty quickly since then. I know they had a ton of guys leaving the transfer portal this year, as you mentioned, picked last in the AAC this season. I do think that if, uh, if Akron, plays to their potential they can win that game regardless though I think best case scenario after the non-conference we're looking at two and two one and three maybe more likely but then you come into the conference schedule here Steve I mean you get Ohio at home obviously that's not an easy game but then you go to Bowling Green to Miami and then Buffalo at home I will be curious to see I think that October 9th game bowling you know at Bowling Green will be a good barometer for both teams gun to head right now though if I had to pick that game I think I'm taking the zips without much hesitation same yeah and then we get to to close out the year you got Ball State at Western Michigan then uh, Kent State and at Toledo to finish the season I, I Steve I feel like to me I'm looking at Bowling Green is really my only, you know, I think Bowling Green and Bryant, I I would chalk up as victories if I had to pick right now. Temple could be a coin flip. Maybe you find a way to steal another game at home somewhere throughout the year if, if, you know, catch an opponent on an off day. I feel like two and 10, three and nine, you know, somewhere in that ballpark, maybe four and eight, if you catch a couple of breaks, I still think, you know, this team is so young. I think probably next year, the year after is when you're going to start to see some real progress from the zips. I think let's see Vegas has their over under win total 2.5. I'm going to say under and go two and 10 with the win over the FCS team and Bryant and the win over Bowling Green. And I think that's pretty fair, but we have seen Akron stay competitive against Ohio last year. It wasn't the best version of Ohio Bobcats football that we saw. So that could be a potential trap game for the Bobcats on October 2nd with that game being at InfoCision Stadium and Ohio operating under a new head coach this year. But still, the only game that I would pick Akron to win at the moment in the MAC is against Bowling Green, who they absolutely walloped last year, 31 to 3. And I would expect uh, maybe a similar result. I think that you have Bowling Green at the bottom of the conference, then you go a whole level up Akron, and then it's a whole nother level of separation before you hit your Northern Illinois and your Eastern or Central yeah. or whoever you want to put on the next level. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I think uh, Bowling Green is definitely in the basement all by themselves. Akron is at least trying to, to, to climb up the steps to get back onto the ground floor here, it seems like. And I also, you know, Akron adds, added some, some nice pieces uh, from the transfer portal this year. We have, um, you know, Florida State transfer Curtis Fan on the defensive line. I mentioned Michigan transfer Jalen Kelly Powell on the back end at safety as well. So there, there are some pieces here. There is some talent. Obviously, Tion Dollard uh, earned most of the headlines last year for the Zips. Uh, six touchdowns and six yards per carry. So certainly things, you know, slowly but surely seem to be going in the right direction in Akron. You know, I think it's it's interesting. It's such a stark contrast going from Terry Bowden, who almost exclusively lived, not exclusively, but really hit the transfer portal and the junior college route hard. Seemed like half of their roster, if not more, was from Florida under his tenure just because of his recruiting connections down there. Now they bring Tom Arthur, who is a Northeast Ohio guy, has a lot of local connections, seems to try to be rebuilding the program in that image, kind of, you know, that tough-minded, tough-nosed brand of football that they're known for in Northeast Ohio. So we'll see what the Zips are able to put together this year. I'm with you, Steve. I think two and 10 feels right. Maybe I could see them, you know, stealing another one and getting to three and nine. I don't know that I see uh, much more than that. Obviously, though, uh, we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about the Zips starting September 4th when they travel down to the Plains to take on Auburn. They are 0-7 all-time against SEC foes. They've only met Akron, one, or I'm sorry, Auburn once before, uh, losing 42 to nothing back in 1988. So um, that'll wrap up the show this week. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at, uh, we'll be looking at Central Michigan from the West and Ohio from the East. Two really intriguing teams. Uh, obviously, Ohio with uh, Frank Solich stepping down a few weeks ago, Tim Albin stepping in as the new head coach after serving as the offensive coordinator. Uh, Steve, any, any final thoughts before we sign off here tonight, man? What I'm thinking about right now, I'm trying to find Akron's new uniforms. I'm pretty sure they got new uniforms that I saw. Yeah, I think, they're, they, I think they're going with, they went to, they switched over to Nike this year, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Right? Not, yeah. It wasn't too big of a change, if I remember. I think I like the old ones better, but yeah, I, I kind of want Akron to go back to that mid-2000s extreme shoulder piping. Yes, like, yes, yes. I feel like that's such an Akron look that they could that they could sport because everyone's moved away from that. And they could be the unique team that still maintains that, and I kind of want Akron to go back to that. <laughs> but that, that's just I don't, what I Yeah, I, I don't know why this is such a specific memory for me, but I remember – Man, this must have been like 2005, 2004, 2005, 2006, somewhere in that range. Whenever D'Angelo Williams was playing for Memphis at, at running back and, and uh, Memphis and Akron played in the Motor City Bowl. I can't recall what it was called at that time. If it was the GMAC Bowl or the Little Caesars Bowl or the Quick Lane Bowl. I don't know. That name bowl has so many, had, had so many names. But I remember Akron wearing those jerseys that day, the, the blue and gold with the extreme piping and the kangaroo on the helmet. I wish they'd go at least go back to the kangaroo on the helmet permanently. The Akron like cursive script is cool, but I, I don't know. I like the kangaroo better. <laughs> yep, 2005 Motor City Bowl. That was before was. I started in college football. Yeah, <laughs> MVP. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't know how I remember that or why I remember that so specifically, but. Um, but I do agree with you. I, I would love for them to go back to that classic mid 2000s look. Uh, anyway, though, we are. Uh, we'll that, that'll wrap up this week's episode. Like I said, next week, guys, we'll be taking a look at Central Michigan and Ohio. Really looking forward to taking a look and a deep dive into Chippewas and the Bobcats. Thanks for tuning in this week. As always, thanks for stopping by. Have a great weekend, everybody. We're four weeks away from college football week zero right now, so uh, it's so close that we can taste it. We're almost there, guys. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week.